Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And today we are here to talk about a commitment in the 2024 class, the first of that recruiting cycle as the Tar Heels go into the state of Georgia to land a commitment. So we'll tell you about what the what Tar Heels are getting in linebacker Evan Bennett. We'll also tell you a little bit about, you know, what kind of impact this has uh, early on in that class, especially in the state of Georgia, one that looks like it's going to be very key for the Tar Heels. But we did want to lead off by telling you uh, about what happened yesterday uh, with the Tar Heel coaching staff. Uh, actually, last night, uh, Matt Zintz of On3 Sports was the first to report it, that Carolina was signing – Indiana cornerbacks coach Jason Jones, he is going to be Carolina's new cornerback coach taking over for Dre Bly, who the team, of course, mutually parted ways with uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Experienced, very experienced guy uh, who has a really, really strong track record. Uh, This past year at Indiana, not great, but... Really, a lot of the elements of that Indiana defense were not great. Uh, But really, before that, he has put together, you know, a a bunch of uh, guys that have been able to create turnovers, uh, which is something that Carolina is really looking for on the defensive side of the football. Um, He has produced four Jim Thorpe Award semifinalists as well as a Bronco Nagurski Award finalist. Um, So this is a guy that has been there and done that, of course, um, outside of his time at Indiana. He did have stops at Florida Atlantic, where he had one of the nation's leaders uh, in interceptions in Miko Dotson. Uh, He also, before uh, Florida Atlantic, had an extremely successful six-year stretch at Ole Miss where he was not only the cornerback's coach 
but the co-defensive coordinator as well. And he produced really two of the best corners that have come out of there uh, in some time in both Senquez Golson, who was, you know, more of a, a college guy than he was an NFL guy, did play a few years in the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but in 2014 had 10 interceptions and was a Jim Thorpe uh, Award semifinalist and did finish uh, inside of the top three in the Bronco Nagurski Award race. Uh, Also had Mike Hilton, the guy who still plays with the Bengals to this day, and a few other guys in that secondary as well. Before his time at Ole Miss, he spent five years at Oklahoma State as the cornerbacks coach and coached some of the best guys to play at Oklahoma State at the cornerback position in program history. Parrish Cox, uh, as well as Justin Gilbert, uh, who came in there and and started his career under him and started it with a bang with five interceptions. Uh, So a a guy that really created a bunch of turnovers, especially early on in his career uh, under his tutelage. And then uh, Broderick Brown. Uh, who was a, another guy that was a Jim Thorpe Award semifinalist. Actually, all three of those guys were uh, at one time in their career. So uh, extremely proven and a guy that I think Carolina fans should be pretty excited about, um, even if there is a little bit of hesitance after what we saw last year uh, when he was the safeties coach. That's the other thing to remember here is that he coached a different position than he's going to coach at Carolina when he has coached cornerbacks. Uh, they've been really, really good. Uh, he's produced some of the nation's leaders in terms of interceptions. Uh, and so far uh, in, in his coaching career, he has produced 10 guys that have finished a season with four or more interceptions. Uh, Carolina had that last year uh, with Cameron Kelly. But outside of him, it's really been a while since Carolina has had a consistent string of guys that can take away the football at a high rate. So hopefully he will be able to bring that to the table and it'll be interesting to see him you know, matched up with some of the guys that are in this cornerback room, especially a guy like Elijah Huzzy, who made a career of that at East Tennessee State, taking away the football. We'll see how those two sort of interact along with the rest of the cornerback room. But let's head over to the 2024 recruiting trail. Let's talk about Evan Bennett, the Tar Heels' first commit in the 2024 class. This comes after a visit over the weekend. Uh, He was on campus with a ton of other big names, including uh, 2024 five-star quarterback, Uh, from in-state, Jaden Davis, as well as the top player in the 2025 class uh, in David Sanders. Both of those guys, of course, from the Charlotte area out of Providence Day High School. But this was the guy that behind the scenes, Carolina was making some moves with, and they end up landing his commitment. And this one's a pretty interesting one. You know, Carolina became the immediate favorite for him when they offered him back in November after he took a visit to their game against Georgia Tech. And it's really, you know, one of those ones where uh, Carolina is is banking on 
a lot of upside here. Um, he's a guy that really didn't play a whole lot before this season. Um, did play at the junior varsity level, but uh, this was his first year at the varsity level, and he did some good things. He had over 100 tackles. He had 842 yards from scrimmage and 11 total touchdowns. I think the biggest thing, though, Zach, is I welcome in Zach Hubbard, our recruiting analyst here for the Heel Tough Blog podcast. You know, the biggest thing, Zach, I think – really is trying to figure out what position he ultimately fits at. They list him as a linebacker. Tommy Thigpen was his lead recruiter. But this is a guy where just one year into varsity football, it feels like he's kind of an unknown because he played on both sides of the ball and played so much. So I think Carolina has to kind of go into this with an open mind. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. Like you mentioned, this was his first year playing high school football. Did go both ways in terms of offense and defense. So played a little bit of running back, wide receiver, really a, a skill talent guy, but also played, you know, some off-ball linebacker as well. In in terms of where he you know currently stacks up from a height weight perspective is 6'3", so a little bit on the longer side from what you see, you know, from a, a modern inside linebacker although you do see some in that you know six three six four range but you know when you when you look at him on film he is a little bit long so you could see you know potentially if he adds some you know some really good weight maybe he's some sort of you know edge defender or a guy that plays off ball linebacker uh, and then can sort of shade down and, and rush off the edge you know in certain situations such as you know third down maybe um either rushing the passer on the edge or, or through the middle but you know, when you put on the tape, you see a lot of both the offense and defense. So that's sort of, you know, fr from a pure athleticism standpoint, tells you, well, he can probably run. And you can sort of see, you know, that he does have some pretty good straight line speed. Um, you don't really get to see a ton, specifically from him playing linebacker, you don't really get to see a ton of that side-to-side -side action that, you, that you'd like to see from a linebacker. You don't really see a ton of that sideline-to-sideline -side movement, but you do see – you know, an ability to sort of navigate in between the offensive line to get into the backfield. Obviously, like you mentioned, you know, in his first year at varsity football, did total under uh, uh, over under tackles, excuse me, um, is out of the state of Georgia, specifically Gatewood School in Eatonton, Georgia, which is at the double A level for Georgia. So not one of the, you know, the highest levels of high school. But as we mentioned in previous editions, you know, the state of Georgia basically up and down generally has pretty good high school football. So even though it's one at one of the lower levels, you know, you do feel pretty good about this being a, a Georgia prospect and a, a potential D1 athlete, you know, out of the state of Georgia is, is almost always going to be a good pickup. But like you mentioned, you know, you are sort of banking on that upside, not only because of limited football experience, but also because it, you're not seeing him play one position. Um, for that, I guess in my mind, I sort of look at that upside and then look at, who's recruiting him and, and what the at least preliminary position is. Uh, the recruiter in this instance has been Tommy Thigpen and is recruiting him primarily, at least at this point, as, you know, an off ball or inside linebacker within this defense. And, you know, when you look at uh, Mac Brown 2.0, you know, the second stint at North Carolina, when you look at the defense, and I, I don't think anyone would say defense has been the strength of this team, but when you look at, the defense overall within sort of this, you know, four going on five year span, 
the relative strength has been that inside linebacker position under linebacker coach Tommy Thickpen. It's been guys like Chaz Surratt, Jeremiah Gimmel. This year you see, you know, um, you know, Gray and Power Eccles, you know, man that spot and really be sort of the, the strength, the relative strength of a unit that's had issues. So, you know, you sort of have to lean on the assumption that a, a guy that's had this experience, uh, both with guys that are highly ranked and then guys that may be a little bit lower ranked in terms of the star rankings, uh, Evan Bennett specifically doesn't have a ranking at the moment, but it is still pretty early. You sort of have to bank on, you know, Tommy Thigpen being a good evaluator of linebackers and linebacker talent. I, I mean, you look at really one of the biggest examples is he took a guy and Shasserat that came to North Carolina as a quarterback, flipped him the linebacker and turned him into, you know, in, into a very good ACC defender. So I, I think when you look at Bennett, when you look at the film, you're looking at that upside, but you're also trusting in the evaluation skills of Tommy Thigpen and, and saying, well, hey, he's done it here before. Uh, there's a pretty decent chance that he knows what he's doing in order to do it again. Well, yeah, there's definitely a trust factor there, and I think you, you you have to believe that there is a reason why they offered him and offered him so early as well. This was in the middle of the season, so clearly there was something there that Tommy Thigpen, that the staff liked, um, and I think you know part of it might be that versatility. Part of it might be the fact that they don't really know exactly where he is going to play at the next level that they've got some of that versatility. You know, linebacker probably seems like the most obvious position because of who was was recruiting him. Uh, you saw, you know, if you turn on the film, you saw a guy that made plays on the defensive side of the football. Um, I thought, you know, if he's going to play linebacker at the next level, I mean, I could see him maybe being a guy off the edge. He would probably play that jack position because I think one of the strengths that you saw from him on film was his ability to drop back into coverage. Now, his hips are still a little tight. That's something that's going to develop with time. But if he is going to play linebacker at the next level, that could be where he sort of makes – his hey, I think that's an area that Carolina is still looking for help, even at this point. You know, we've seen, you know, over the past couple of years, Cedric Gray is, has looked really good at times when he's dropped into coverage. There's other times where he's been picked on when he drops into coverage. Carolina is looking for more consistency at the linebacker position when it comes to guys that have to drop because it is a part of the more of the more modern game, especially when you're having to take away some of these athletic tight ends that you're going to face. So that'll be interesting. But I think Speaking of the tight ends, I think that's another spot that you really have to watch with him. Um, You know, 220 is where he's at right now. I think you could see him probably put on 10, 15 more pounds. Uh, Even, you know, this offseason, you could see that be added to his frame uh, while he's still at the high school ranks. And I really think tight end could be a spot for him. I think you saw on film, he catches the ball really well. Uh, I think he's got the size. He's able to block well. They used him sort of as a lead blocker at times, um, sort of in a fullback role. That's, of course, something you don't really see outside of the high school level at this point anymore unless you're uh, the San Francisco 49ers. That's pretty much the only team that you see use that nowadays. So 
Uh, yeah, I, I think that could be a sneaky position to keep an eye on for him moving forward. I know he plays running back. I just, to me, I think he's kind of a downhill guy. He's one of those guys that kind of, you know, just looking at him, he is a high school running back. Um, He's there because guys simply cannot stop him. And I think a big thing. When it comes to him, and, and we'll have to see moving forward, you know, what kind of effect that it has is the level that he plays at. You mentioned it's at the 2A level. Well, not only is it at the 2A level, it's in the independent league. So these, if you watch the film, you know, one of the things that really concerns me uh, right now about him is, is the level of competition that he's playing against because you just don't see guys that are – Big, like in terms of the offensive lineman that he's running through at times. I mean, you're you're looking at guys that maybe weigh 250, 240 some pounds at times uh, that are playing on the offensive line. And when he gets to the college level, it is not going to be anything like that. I mean, you're going to be facing running backs at times that could weigh 230, two, uh, 235. So I think that's the thing that is going to be interesting to monitor with him moving forward is, you know, can he start to become even more dominant than he was this past year at the lower level of competition? Because that's what you're looking for when you – or, or taking a look at guys that play in lower levels of competition in these states. Um, you, you're right. The level in, in the state of Georgia, I mean, you're looking at some of the best high school football out there. But I think, you know, there is a reason when you turn on the film to think to yourself, man, it's 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 hard to get a great read on him uh, from the level of competition that he is facing. So that'll be uh, something interesting uh, that Carolina has to navigate moving forward. Um, you know, in terms of just the start to the 2024 class, Zach, let's just start with the timing of this. I feel like this is this is really a good starting point for Carolina. It's a little bit later than you know the start they got off to back in the 2022 cycle, but it's a little bit earlier than the start that they got off to in the previous cycle. So, uh, what do you like? You know, Carolina clearly focused on the 2024 classes. It looks like their 2023 class is done. So you have to feel pretty good to at least get one in the clubhouse here early on. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if you look at sort of an overall timeline of how North Carolina has operated, I mean, they really worked, you know, in, in the in the end of 2022, sort of in those winter months, to wrap up their 2023 class. And they also, you know, did quite a bit of damage getting transfers in, which we have not seen as much in past years. We've seen a few guys, maybe, you know, three to four to five, they went you know, closer to the 7-8 range this year to sort of build up the roster for the 2023 season. Um, and, you know, going into sort of these last few weeks and then into the spring, you know, there's probably not going to be as much transfer activity as there might have been in past years because they already have, you know, so many thus far. And, um, you know, they're basically done with their recruiting for 2023 out of the high school break. So, you know, the focus moving forward here into the spring looks like it's going to be heavy on the 2024 class. Um, obviously, you know, a little bit of a disappointment down the stretch on the field. So, you know, you have to wonder what effect that has and, and what this team looks like now that they're potentially 
in their last year with Drake May. Um, but I think we're going to see a continuation of just getting guys on campus and, and seeing, you know, which ones are ready to pull that trigger early. I mean, this staff, or really Mac Brown in general over his career, has not been shy about, you know, giving these offers out and then letting guys pull the trigger. I mean, more often than not, these offers, if given, are considered amenable offers. And if guys are ready to commit, well, you know, the staff is perfectly fine to take those commitments. So I think that this is a good starting point. I'm very excited to see sort of, you know, what we see over the next few weeks and months here in the spring, they're going to get more and more guys on campus. Obviously, had quite a few guys on campus this past weekend uh, to watch, you know, North Carolina basketball play against NC State. Um, and, and we'll continue to see guys over the next few, you know, weeks and months um, here get on campus, check out the campus, and I'm sure we'll see some, you know, additional commitments here to start off the 2024 class. Yeah, and this is one of the things that the that the staff really, really loves to do early in the season, um, you know, or early in the, the recruiting cycle um, for the next class is really to get these guys on campus. Um, and, it, you know, of course, they're getting some 2025 guys as, on as well. But really, they are trying to get the majority of their 2024 guys in here to be able to go to a basketball game and really sort of get Carolina on the mind for a lot of these guys. And look, We've seen it since the early signing period was put in place. You have to do your work early because, yes, by the time that you get to December, your class pretty much has to be signed. Um, you can add one or two other guys, but really that window is for the, the, the regular window, that is, is really for teams that are getting new staffs in place that have lost really just a ton to the transfer portal and are going to have no choice but to really replenish it through high school recruiting those are, are you know that that's the scenario that that is really used for so the majority of teams you have your class wrapped up by then and i think more so now than even in the past you're going to start seeing a lot of these guys probably even commit before their senior seasons of high school because with the transfer portal being as big of an unknown as it is right now I think a lot of these guys are going to want to make sure that they have committable offers that they can take because there are going to be a lot of teams especially after how many guys we saw enter the transfer portal this year in the first year of, of, of what is really the full-blown full portal with the, the windows and it, it being as as talked about as it is, as covered as it is. Um, I, I think you're, you're going to see guys that are going to want to make sure uh, that they are going to have a roster spot and that teams are not going uh, to really just save a bunch of spots for transfers and only take a select amount of high school prospects. So for Carolina, I think this is important for them to get a commitment and really get the ball rolling in this class. And being done with the 2023 class, really being done on the transfer portal uh, trail, it, it, outside of maybe, as Mac Brown was saying, um, when he was wrapping up the class that Carolina had brought in through the transfer portal a couple of weeks ago, um, it, 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 he said, look, we may go back there in the spring, but as of right now, we are done. So... I think this is 
This is now a chance for Carolina to put their full focus on the 24 class and really start to hammer home some of these guys that are already close to decisions. I mean, Jaden Davis right now, the five-star quarterback that was on campus uh, over the weekend, as we mentioned earlier, he's a guy that right now a lot of people feel like is close to committing to Michigan. So if Carolina is going to make a push, they have to do it and do it soon. Uh, Jonathan Paler, another guy that's in the state uh, that Carolina has been tied to very heavily for a while now, uh, both them and NC State making strong pushes. He could be at the end of his recruitment. It could come to an end at any time. So Carolina really has to be prepared here uh, and, and ready to start uh, putting up a fight on this recruiting trail. And, you know, the other thing, Zach, that I think uh, is really big here is Carolina gets a commitment out of the state of Georgia. And we've talked about here in years past, of course, North Carolina, you have to take care of your own state. And a few years ago, uh, North Carolina was the state that Carolina hit really, really hard to put together a really strong class. In recent years, it's been the state of Virginia where Carolina has done a lot of damage. Well, this year, it's the state of Georgia. Carolina has offered 18 players from the state of Georgia, including Bennett, who committed today. In retrospect, Carolina has offered a combined 20 prospects from the state of North Carolina and Virginia. So Georgia is clearly the state that Carolina is putting a lot of focus in early I, you know, I don't know, being an, a guy that's from a small school, how much impact he has on some of the other guys in the state, Zach. But this is really a sign, I think, that Carolina is going to be hitting the state of Georgia hard. And in order for them to put together a strong class, it feels like they are going to have to land a pretty good amount, pretty good amount of guys from Georgia because of just how many offers they have handed out to that state. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think if you look at it, you know, as, as a whole, um, you, you've seen sort of other, um, you know, larger brands sort of within the region, schools like Tennessee, obviously Clemson, Georgia have sort of, you know, started uh, doing more and more damage in North Carolina and Virginia. And, you know, North Carolina just has to have options that are outside of those, those two states. They've obviously, you know, very early in Mac Brown's tenure have had success recruiting primarily in North Carolina and Virginia. Um, but there, there's going to be fluctuations, obviously, in the talent of those schools year in and year out. And they have to be prepared that, you know, programs that right now have had more success on the national level are, are going to be, you know, attractive options and are going to take some of those guys, not all of them, but some of them. So, you know, for North Carolina to continue to build their roster, they're going to have to get options that are outside of those two states. And really, Georgia makes the most sense. Um, it's the closest state that North Carolina's staff has connections to in terms of high school relationships, things along those lines. They've tried to get into Florida a little bit. They've had, you know, some success there, some not so much. But, you know, Georgia has been a state that has been good to them, not only, you know, under Mac Brown, but under, you know, previous coaching staffs. And it's, it's one that over the past, you know, I'd say decade really nationally has grown. I mean, for years, people spoke about, you know, California, Texas, and Florida as sort of the big three talent producers nationally. Well, I think Georgia 
you know, more and more is becoming a, a state sort of in that classification where, you know, it's producing your high end talent, but then there's a lot of depth underneath it. So I think that there's some, you know, some good opportunities for North Carolina to get talent in that state, obviously started out with a guy in Bennett, but I, I think that there will be more opportunities for North Carolina you know, to get guys out, out of Georgia, you saw that in the 2023 cycle, and I think you'll see it again in 2024. Yeah, and I, I think you, you, what, yeah, you're right. I, I think the biggest thing for people to realize here is that look at the guys that are on this defensive staff right now, primarily the two guys that came in last year. Uh, Charlton Warren's a guy that is recruited in the state of Georgia for years, did so with the Bulldogs at one time as well. So this is an area that he's extremely familiar with. He has really strong connections there. And even in this past class, I thought he did a really good job of helping to recruit that state. But it's also Gene Shizik, a guy who coached in the SEC for a long time, was on you know SEC Network. So this is a guy that's known in those areas of the country. And I feel like you've seen their influence on where Carolina has been looking for prospects here uh, in these last couple of classes. As you mentioned, Florida's a state that they're starting to look in a little bit more. You know, they have six offers handed out to the state of Florida. And even Texas, that's a spot where Carolina has handed out four offers, not a spot that Carolina is used to handing out a bunch of offers. Um, but it's, you know, Carolina trying to expand that recruiting footprint a little bit. And look, it makes sense because the state of North Carolina – I mean, I think Carolina, again, really wants to strengthen, you know, the, themselves back up uh, after a, a year where some outside teams were able to come in and land commitments. The good news is they weren't losing these commitments to other in-state schools, but you still saw teams like Georgia, Notre Dame invade the state of North Carolina. So they're definitely that that needs to be a big focus, especially with some of the talent that Carolina has primarily at the offensive skill positions in this upcoming class in the state. But I think the bigger one is, is that Carolina is also using Georgia to sort of help out if Virginia's pipeline dries up just a little bit, or if they lose that pipeline just a little bit, because look, Penn state has done a tremendous job over the last couple of years there. This past class, they were absolutely dominant in that state. And then there's Brent Pry over at Virginia Tech. And I know Virginia Tech didn't get off to a great start under him this year. But he's a guy that has recruited that state for a long time. He did it when he was at Penn State. And you better you you have to imagine that that is going to be a big focus of that staff moving forward. He has stated that multiple times, that in order for them to get where they want to go, they have to recruit their home state very well. So Carolina's got to be aware of that. You also have to factor in the fact that Tony Grimes, as well as his dad, uh, no longer at the university. So you lose a guy that was a five-star prospect, a headliner uh, from that 757 area to sort of show kids that you can go to North Carolina and have success. Well, he's gone. He's now at Texas A&M, and his dad is there as well. Not saying that his dad is going to be deterring anybody away from North Carolina, but remember how many different 
prospects he would bring to, with him uh, to just about every single game because he was a guy that sort of coached a lot of those guys with seven-on-seven seven, uh, camps and all sorts of things like that. So it'll be interesting to see the impact uh, that those things have in the state of Virginia and maybe Georgia is a way that Carolina feels like they can make that up. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have to tell you about two storylines around two former Tar Heels. Uh, you don't want to miss this. One guy joining a coaching staff and one guy potentially getting the keys to an NFL organization. Stick around on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog podcast back right after this. Four NFL teams, two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. Not a new customer? You can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped-up same-game parlays. Take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Guys, this weekend I will definitely be betting on the Cincinnati Bengals against the Kansas City Chiefs. I know Patrick Mahomes is special, but man, he's dealing with that high ankle sprain. Joe Burrow looked absolutely fantastic up in Buffalo, and so did that defense. I think it could be a tough day for that Kansas City offense, especially if Mahomes isn't 100%. And I definitely think Joe Burrow could have a big day of his own, so I might have to jump in there on a couple of those prop bets, and I'm going to do it all at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter, at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. Make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself, at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack Zubber 2 for our recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Zach Hubbard with you. Well, we have to wrap this up by talking about a couple of former Tar Heels that uh, have some news out around them. And we'll start with uh, a guy that is potentially looking at getting the keys to an NFL franchise, and that is Sam Howell. This report came out earlier last week that it looks like as they go through their search for an offensive coordinator in Washington – under head coach Ron Rivera, they are telling offensive coordinators that the plan moving forward is to roll with Sam Howell and that you will be coaching Sam Howell. Uh, you will be building around him. So very interesting. Uh, this you know, would probably make you believe that Ron Rivera and the front office are probably going to be looking for a little bit of a younger 
coach uh, that can fit a little bit with uh, Sam, but we'll see. Uh, this is huge, though, for the former Tar Heel quarterback as he started just one game, the final game of the regular season against the Dallas Cowboys. He did some good things in that game, threw for 169 yards, one touchdown and one interception, but... I feel like, you know, he's a guy that a lot of people liked coming out in the draft. It was really just about getting him into the right situation. He did some good things. And look, this is a weird scenario that he is in in, in Washington. I think it really just worked out. And I said this, you know, when we, we were talking about him landing in Washington, I didn't think it was the greatest spot that he could have possibly landed in this past year's draft. But it was one that you could see a way for him to play pretty early because Taylor Heineke was a guy that was going to be a free agent after the season was over. Well, he's done some good things there. He hasn't exactly been spectacular, so there was no guarantee that they were going to re-sign him. I don't really think at this point, it doesn't seem like at least they are going to entertain uh, re-signing him at least to be the starter on this team. And then there's Carson Wentz. And he had multiple opportunities there to really take hold of that starting job. Uh, He even got a shot late in the season in week 17 to lead that team to the playoffs or at least keep them alive uh, in week 18 and didn't do so. He had just a downright terrible performance uh, that eliminated Washington from the playoffs against the Cleveland Browns. And so Sam Howell got the opportunity. Clearly the staff liked what they saw from him. And I think this is this is something that you know we'll have to monitor moving forward. Is it a guarantee that Sam Howell is going to be the starter there next year? No, because they could find somebody in free agency that they like more than likely, uh, they could be a team that just really uh, gets enamored with trading for somebody if they don't feel like Sam Howell is ready right now. Those are the scenarios that you could probably look at. But if they are actually telling these candidates that Sam Howell is their guy, uh, I think it's it, it's really amazing uh, to see how quickly he has caught on in the NFL, just like he did at the college level. And I think it just shows how committed to football he really is because that's the thing that I think more than anything more than than the actual tools that he has is probably the reason behind this he's a guy that studies the game just about as hard as anybody uh, that we've seen come through Chapel Hill we heard that so many times during his career uh, with with the Tar Heels and man I, I think This is going to be a really cool story to monitor moving forward, especially if he does end up being the starter week one next season. Let's see what he can do uh, with the keys to that Washington franchise and see if he can build off of a solid first performance uh, in a commander's uniform. And the other storyline that we have to tell you about A former wide receiver, a guy that was a little bit before Sam Howell's time, but just recently retired from the NFL due to some injury issues, and that is Ryan Switzer, the former Tar Heel receiver. We had seen some things. He had been talking on social media about uh, him possibly coaching um, and that there was an opportunity that – Uh, had presented itself, but it had been a couple of weeks. I think a lot of people had kind of let that slip uh, off the radar just a little bit. And now we have finally found out his location, where he will be going. 
And uh, as announced today by Bruce Feldman of Fox Sports originally, he is going to be the wide receivers coach at Tulsa. Uh, This is an interesting spot for him. I think it really is kind of the perfect fit um, for him, to be honest with you. Um, Kevin Wilson, uh, who came from Ohio State, uh, is a guy that really saw some good things in him, uh, said that he reminds him a lot of former uh, Ohio State wide receiver and a guy that uh, you know eventually became a coach uh, in Brian Hartline. So that'll be really, really interesting uh, to kind of keep an eye on here over uh, you know the next couple of years to see you know how he he transitions into coaching because yeah, he he, he was a guy that you really felt like eventually would get into that. Um, he, he was just the the way that he was when he was on campus, uh, how helpful he's been uh, to some of the guys uh, that, you know, he, he has been able to talk to uh, since then. And I think the biggest thing is, is he probably did a little bit of that, you know, on and off when he was out injured for, uh, you know, mo- the majority of his time in the NFL. So uh, it's really interesting to see, you know, him get that coaching job. And uh, who knows, maybe one day could be a guy that ends up back in Chapel Hill to coach the team that he once played for. While we're talking about the Switzer family, did want to congratulate them on the birth of their second child, a beautiful girl, Roanne Bell Switzer, uh, born on January 16th at 11.13 a.m., and uh, congratulations to both Ryan and his wife, Gabby. Uh, so they now have two beautiful children. Um, I don't know. I, I would imagine they will probably end up moving to Tulsa, but they were uh, living here in the Charlotte area, actually, uh, for the last about year and a half. So uh, congratulations to them uh, and their growing family as they now he now gets the opportunity uh, to go on and coach. And um, we'll do so in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Guys, head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Remember, we started with the storyline that Jason Jones coming over from Indiana to be the Tar Heels cornerbacks coach. Go back and read why we think this is a pretty solid hire. His track record is a proven one, and we go through that over on the website. Also, while you're there, make sure you check out the commitment article for Evan Bennett, uh, breaking down the first Tar Heel commitment in this 2024 class. Gets this cycle off and rolling for the staff as they will now look to add to that and hopefully do so with some big-name in-state prospects that seem to be closing in on some possible decisions. And also, while you're over there, make sure you're checking out the basketball content that we have on the website. The basketball team really feels like they're starting to hit their stride just a little bit here. Nine of their last 11, uh, they've won, and they've done you know a good job so far of navigating some injury issues that they've had throughout the season. Now it feels like they're starting to get relatively healthy. Hopefully, Puff Johnson will be able to get back out on the floor at some point soon. Uh, Apparently, a knee issue for him. But Josh will keep you up to date on that, as well as everything that the Tar Heels are doing on the hardwood as they try to make a push for an ACC regular season title. Their next game, of course, tomorrow night 
uh, on the road at Syracuse. Josh will have you covered with a preview and recap of that game. Uh, guys, make sure wherever you listen to your podcast, you hit that subscribe button. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, and make sure you uh, give us a rate and review if you could as well. Same thing with the Four Corners podcast, our sister podcast that does cover Tar Heel basketball. So, once again, that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Zach Hubbard for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. This edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast. Find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings. And the subscribing, that is for you. So you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast family moving forward. And thank you once again for listening to this edition.